Richard Alpert, the team on the brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, formerly of Walk Off Walk, formerly of the Getting Blanked blog at Canada's The Score, formerly and also currently of Ghost Runner and First, and very recently, still currently, contributor to Fangraphs.com, is Drew Fairservice. As I note, uh, Drew Fairservice was hired by Fangraphs just last week. He's already made some stellar contributions to the electronic pages of Fangraphs. And what follows, we converse. We converse broadly at some level on the, the pleasures and maybe some of the pains, but generally the pleasures of sports writing and sports media. We talk in uh, no little depth about the 1985 Toronto Blue Jays. And Fairservice demonstrates the ability to name uh, I think about a dozen, more, maybe more than a dozen of the the, um, the Blue Jays 1985 squad. Uh, really, more than anything, Fair Service shares with us his voice. His voice, uh, which is like lotion for your ears. Like lotion for the inside of your ears. It's Fangraphs Audio. It features Drew Fair Service, currently at Fangraphs, and it begins right now. There's not going to be a lot of editing. No, I would, I would assume not. Hey, I want to, I want to. Well, first of all, I want to say uh, welcome to Fangraphs. Thank you. I, I feel very welcome. Yeah. Well, that's good. <clears throat> uh, I know that you come from a place most recently where you had, uh, I believe, daily interaction with your colleagues. Yes. Yes, we had an office, and it was, it was quite the place. Yeah. Right. And uh, it's, I, I would say, people. I don't know if you liked all of them, uh, but you seemed you pretended to like them. It seemed like for the sake of social media. I did like all of them, even the ones I didn't like. No, it was a great place to be, and there was a a, a real sense of camaraderie among those of us on uh, what we called Ghoul Island. Oh yeah, and what was the uh, what was the origin of that? Uh, soulless ghouls who will do and say anything to get the uh, the precious precious uh, interaction. And page views that we need to live. <laughs> we do, and not die. To live and not die. Um, that's actually, but, we ended up, but we ended up dead anyway. Yeah, so. you did, yeah. I actually live in New Hampshire, and of course, uh, the traditional motto of the state is live free or die. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, they're, they're, so they've been changing it. They're changing it to get precious page views, hot internet clicks, or die. Well, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of VC moving that way. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah, a, lot so of, a, lot a lot of venture capital that are yeah. going to invest in in clicks and page views. Yeah, a lot of VC over here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in the trees. Yeah. So where are you right now? Are you you're in Canada. Where are in Canada? I'm in Toronto, beautiful okay. Toronto, Ontario. Okay. Canada. And are you? Is that Toronto proper? Is that the? Uh, is that Thornhill? Are you anywhere near Thornhill? I am in uh, technically what is known as Etobicoke, which is a former borough, but in the uh, Amalgamation and creation of the megacity. Okay. <laughs> I believe uh, some 15 or 20 years ago, uh, Etobicoke fell under the auspices of the city of Toronto. Okay. All right. And are you now? Are you native of Etobicoke or that or that area, to Toronto? No, I I grew up mostly in the outer suburbs, in the you know true suburbia, mm-hmm. out on highways, and this is more what they refer to as the inner suburbs of the city. Right, so. which is a which is a thing that happens. I don't know if it happens with every city. I know that, like uh, northeastern cities in the United States, 
Uh, you do have, you generally have layers of suburbia, so, uh, so suburbs. So, for example, um, in the Boston area, it would like, there's a smaller towns called Newton, or I don't know if they're small, but towns near Boston called Brookline and Newton, for example, which are known as streetcar suburbs. Because Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is this familiar to you, something like that? It is, it is. Uh, where I live, I live very close to the subway line, uh, but at the, the, the far reaches of the subway line, so... It has more density than a normal suburb, but it, it was built initially, uh, especially when you get out this far with the car in mind. The lots have started to get bigger and there's parking and, right. uh, so it's a weird, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a nice mix. I like where we are right now. Well, let me, I want to start off by asking this question. This is not intended to embarrass you at all, um, okay. or to make you celebrate yourself any more than you care to. Which is uh, a lot. I do care to. Okay. All right. Well, then, then maybe this is right up your alley. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when Dave Cameron announced, whatever, some, was it last week probably? Last week. Yeah. Uh, that you were now part of Team Fangraphs. He, um, he received a number of requests. I received some requests, um, very, very soon after that. It, it was a lot of demands that Drew Ferris Service would have to make an appearance on the podcast. Um, and, I mean, we've had, we've hired a number of great writers, but there has never been, that sort of demand. And I'm curious, I'm not asking you to say precisely why, I'm not, I'm not asking you to say definitely why it happened, but I'm asking you to um, wager a guess as to why it might have happened, or as to why that might be people's reaction. Well, I think it goes back a little bit to what you said before, where the people with whom I used to create podcasts, we used to do a daily podcast, and we did a video show, and there's been all these different uh, versions and, and iterations of, of the podcast that we used to create. Uh, we are, in fact, you know, friends and we got along and we were able to banter and have fun and, and speak in a frank manner, manner that seemed to have attracted, if not a large number of, of, of people who supported and enjoy it, but people who were very, um, very, uh, they really liked it. Yeah. People really liked the podcast and and that was always a struggle at the old shop where podcasts weren't really a money maker um but the people who appreciated them were very vocal and then they didn't quite understand when we kind of shifted our attention in other directions um the because and the biggest problem for us was that they're so much fun to make we had a great time doing it again because it's not like a lot of podcasts in that we were all in the same room and we were able to kind of have that different kind of interaction and, and banter, like I said. But uh, yeah, no, it, it felt a very, very peculiar feeling to see people speak in a way that wasn't was reflected in my employment status. Let's say that. <laughs> well, and we should say because it might sound mysterious up to this point. I've probably mentioned it in the introduction, but the podcast um, we're talking about it was part of the the scores baseball coverage. That's right. That's and the right. score was the score. I guess is is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the score is a what a, a, a conglomerate, some sort of media Canadian media conglomerate. It is. It is the opposite in a way. It is a a, a smaller family-owned company. Oh, okay. That was spun off of a again a smaller independent television channel, and then they opened the mobile mobile and uh, and digital branch, and then they spun it off and they sold off the TV stuff and. So we were mobile, mobile focused. Mo- mobile was everything. Uh, the web was not quite the same consideration as time went along. So we had, uh, yeah, we had our baseball coverage and, and we did 
the all baseball one that we call Getting Blanked, and then there's still the the Blue Jays uh, imprint that they do with uh, Andrew Stoughton at uh, Drunk Jays fans or DJF. So mm-hmm. that's still ongoing at the score. So of course, check. Right, right, right. I just wanted to make sure you didn't want. Yeah, to those, so that's that's yeah. In case anyone didn't know, which is very likely that they yeah. they don't know what we're talking about. Right. You have been, you were a guest, I would say three times on Getting Blank podcast. I only remember like one and a half of them though. One and a half. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I don't know. I don't know to uh, what degree. And I'm um, I'm not saying this because I'm super extreme, but I do um, I do enjoy tippling on now and then. Mm-hmm. Do you know tippling? I don't know that I do. That's when you drink. It's just another oh, word for okay. it. It's a word for it that makes it sound like you're not dangerous to other people. It makes it sound charming. It, it's like telling people you're a dipsomaniac. So um, it's like when the doctor asks you um, how often or how many alcoholic drinks you have in a week, you get to kind of apply the, the, the tippling scale yeah, and well, make, it, you, make yeah. it sound classy as opposed to problematic. Exactly right, right. You say, well, listen. Um, am I am I having more than the recommended daily amount of drinks? Perhaps, but do I have a decent hold over the English language simultaneous to that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not necessarily. I don't know if it helps your liver, but it at least makes you seem less dangerous to people. Is the idea? You need, you need your doctor needs to understand that you take the good with the bad. Yeah, right. And uh, you know, you get well, a I mean, if, if you ever if you ever watched a certain 1980s sitcom. About a girl's dormitory, I think he's well acquainted with those facts of life. Drew, very nervous. Come on, you stop. No, you stop. Um, um, too fun. It's already too fun. So I was actually going to go back to your point. And uh, um, before this is over, and I know that you have uh, like legitimate paternal duties that you need to or obligations that you need to fulfill. Um, I do want to get in a second to like your baseball biography. Uh, you know, it might be short, but the the, the thing you're saying that I'm curious about, and I would ask you to expand upon more of your feelings about it, it seems to me, you mentioned that one of the, for you, one of the pleasures of your, your work was that you were able to do this podcast, and you were doing it with people uh, with whom you are actual friends. So one presumes that you were actually enjoying yourself uh, whilst recording. And that's, is that a fact? That's a fact. That's a fact. Okay. If, if, it makes me think that those instances in which we can witness someone, people actually enjoying themselves, like real joy, they're taking, deriving real pleasure, that is a very satisfying experience. However, it's also probably one that the people with the money typically uh, are a little bit nervous about attempting to cultivate because it's uh, it's not something that you can standardize really. You know, you cannot put, you cannot say, well, this is going to be one host, this is going to be another, and they have to be friends. We demand that they're friends. <laughs> That's true. Or alternatively, going out and finding, I mean, maybe one way to do it is just to find friends, and then they're, and then you say, okay, now talk about baseball, but that could also be dangerous because perhaps they have, for example, no training in, in uh, broadcast whatsoever. Um, well, I don't think that should stop anybody. No, yeah, well, but, maybe uh, it shouldn't. I mean, no. maybe it shouldn't. But I'm curious, Julie, for your thoughts on, uh, I mean, maybe it would be uh, anything that might have influenced the podcast you were you were making with with getting blanked and or not. I mean, but it's sort of uh, what it might inform your enjoyment of that particular type of media. I do think that what you're saying is is accurate in that when people when it sounds like people are enjoying themselves and having fun and and are even if they're just talking about baseball and winding each other up or however you want to look at it, um, that it's infectious and it comes off and, and it make it can be. You know, enjoyable, 
But I do also think that that tends to uh, raise the barrier for entry a little bit, where if you're not as um, uh, like immersed in the world that may have already that that exists and, and moves along, that it can be difficult to to get in that way, which is maybe why the you know to to, re, to recreate it or to to kind of expand it where. It can be tough because it, you know, uh, there's always inside jokes and callbacks and just almost like a little, each kind of little community or whatever you want to describe it has like a language of its own. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, I think you can hear it where, where people get that level of comfort, uh, with each other if, if it's a, if it's on the radio, on a podcast, on TV or whatever it is where it can definitely make you feel like you're just hanging out and, and, and sometimes, um, someone will say something that you, had thought but didn't realize you thought it or weren't able to express it in a way that, that made sense. And then you hear somebody else say it and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that, uh, that can kind of create, I mean, uh, you know, we all listen to, I mean, I listen to, for example, how did this get made? The, the podcast with, uh, uh, Jason Manzakis and, and, uh, Paul Shear and stuff. And they sound like they're generally having a good time and, and that, uh, it goes a long way as opposed to, um, you know, something that's a bit more upright, uptight and, and just kind of rote. If I can uh, awkwardly extract a baseball metaphor out of this, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes when we're talking about prospects, right, we 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 talk about a player's uh, floor and his ceiling in terms of what he could become as a major leaguer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I would say that the sort of thing you're you're mentioning here, where right, where the the intimacy is informs the amount of enjoyment that a listener will get from that particular podcast. Like you said, either whether it's how did this get made? Or the Getting Blank podcast, when they mentioned there are callbacks, and um, uh, there's a certain level of understanding, not just between the the people who are producing the podcast, but also the listeners are, are involved in that as well, is that the ceiling for enjoyment for those is higher. Because there is a, people enjoy feeling um, like they're part of a community, I would say, and that that could... In, inform their pleasure as far as that sort of concern. But it sounds like also the problem is that the floor is lower because if uh, someone tunes in, like in, in it can be, it can be difficult for them to um, enter that flow of conversation. Definitely. And, and I think that, that another challenge is uh, those podcasts, especially when people get along and they banter and they're screwing around, they're screwing around really realistically. They're making jokes and having fun and doing whatever. And, there's a very large segment of people, baseball and sports fans and everyone in particular, that don't want jokes and fun. They just want the facts. They want the information. They want the analysis. They want the, the cut to the chase and where you're spending 15 minutes just, you know, getting started and, and then just cracking wise and making it's, fun of one guy's favorite team. They're not getting what they need. So. Yeah, no, uh, I, I don't know if you've, now you've, uh, You've written three posts now, I think, um, for Fangraphs, the, the most recent one just minutes ago. Or it was posted today, at least, this afternoon. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Um, have you, because uh, sometimes we do have, uh, I mean, uh, bless their hearts, we have some people who um, who, who are serious-minded, and, and they uh, will occasionally make appearances in the uh, the commentary section. Have you, have you uh, met any of these sorts of readers? A few. I would say a few, not anything I'm not, uh, I wasn't expecting, but, uh, it, I, I don't, I find there, there to be value oftentimes in, in the commentary and, and especially if they are dissenting. Um, it does, for me, it makes me kind of 
reevaluate what I'm doing and make sure that I'm able to like be in the right mode because sometimes you have to finding the right kind of the right voice for the right odd not the right audience but I mean what writing for fangraphs is different a little bit than what I was doing before where we were kind of we had moved to aiming for the that larger meatier part of the audience where oh, okay yeah, yeah where at fangraphs I I you know and, and part of that was maybe speaking not plainly but kind of leaving a lot of the the, the how the sausage was made behind mm-hmm. because because especially again in a, on a mobile audience it's you're going to lose a, those kind of people just because it's people have a, have a challenge in that in that way to to kind of wade through some of that information, or maybe now I have to take a step, bit of a step back and uh, and and reintroduce that and 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 come at it in a w- more of an analytical way. Which uh, that's well, so maybe kind of if there was a theme to some of the comments comments that I've seen, it would be that. And uh, and I will definitely I'm definitely heeding it. I'm not going to charge on. Yeah. Um, well, um, well, I would also say don't forget to uh, be your authentic self either, Drew's Fair Service. That's what people want. Yeah, I'm also a ghoul, though. Remember, I, I mean, am a, pr- a proud member of Ghoul Island. I am just there to give them what they want. So yeah, right. uh, <laughs> they want I, charts and graphs. It's going to be just, just chock-a-block. Now, where did you – now, where did you – because you know, so we, I know that you've been involved in multiple – not well, not just Fangraphs now and not just the score before that, but you've also been involved uh, in Walk Off Walk. Uh, which which you did with is it Robbie Irakane? Is that right, Irakane? Yeah, Irakane, Irakane, Irakane. It would, it would, I think it would actually be Irakane if we're uh, if we're being honest about it, right? He's an Italian gentleman. He is indeed an Italian gentleman. He and is, the, he's a fine gentleman indeed. And his Mediterranean friend, his swarthy Mediterranean friend, Chris Liakos. That's correct. Yes. Is that he say or Liakos? Liakos, I think. Liakos, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so you did that, and you also have recently restarted a. a a blog that you were that you worked on for some time called Ghost Runner and First. I did. That was what, where I started um, writing and writing about baseball specifically, and just kind of picked it back up. And it's just kind of an outlet to some, something I don't I don't feel the same sense of obligation I did when I even when I before I shut it down in the first place when I was just starting to write on a full time basis and it just. Wasn't getting the attention that it that I wanted it to have in terms of my own attention, and and now it's just kind of there, and I can go to it, and, and people are uh, people are very supportive of that, so it's fun. It's fun to have that there. Hmm. Right about the Jays in a way that I haven't uh, in a long time. So how did you get to baseball uh, to begin with? Because I think you and I are about the same age. So I was trying to think if there was maybe if there would would have been a Blue Jays team, and I, I think that those. But those late '80s, early '90s Blue Jays teams were pretty strong. I mean, was that your entry point, or was it before then, or was it had nothing to do with the Blue Jays? Uh, it had everything to do with the Blue Jays. Frankly, uh, I came, you know, came of age um, as they started to become good. Um, I have you know, memories, very young memories, of them winning the division in 1985, uh, which was the big thing. And then I was when they won the World Series. I was in my, I was in my the ninth grade so it was like a big deal and i didn't have anywhere else to go and anywhere else to do so it was like it was perfect and you know, i played baseball and i just was a was a big baseball fan and and that was that was kind of i mean i even at those times i was still kind of trying to experience and, and learn about other teams as well and i like i remember barry bonds was my favorite player i had a barry bonds poster on my wall and the pirates jersey and stuff but uh it was definitely the blue jays were the were the the avenue into which baseball came into my life my father 
and his father very much liked and played baseball and stuff, and that really uh, planted the seed. Well, yeah, actually, that's interesting. You mentioned your father and your grandfather, because uh, I was curious. So far as, because what, the, the Blue Jays uh, entered the league in the late 70s, is that right? 1977, that same year as the Mariners. Okay, right. So I'm curious, uh, and maybe this is a, sort of an unfair question for you because you have not grown up in any other metro area, uh, but if you sense that that maybe a, your generation, those who were who were born and came of age after... Uh, after the team was formed, if they have a different, perhaps deeper uh, relationship with the club than people who were alive um, might have, who were alive when the when the, the club came to Toronto, I would imagine so. I, I I think you see that with with all sports. I always wonder too because I feel fortunate in that the Jays have always existed as long as I've been alive. Where I don't, I mean. You see people just kind of uh, throw the switch, and, and they suddenly they support the new team in their area, whether it's any sport. Um, so it's you know, especially when you're young, I think you're you're much more free to to make that kind of choice in your life and and just throw your support, uh, you know, wholeheartedly behind a new team with no history and and just kind of this is the team that, that we like, this is the team that we have, and uh, so that I think it'll be more challenging as you get a bit older, but. But uh, you winning, winning helps everything. And in that time, in 1992, the Blue Jays were, uh, they were, you know, it was everywhere. They were the only show in town. They didn't, there was no professional basketball in Toronto. And uh, they, they did really well. And there's a whole, there's a, there's a very large baseball audience here. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they keep tapping into it. And, and if they ever do reach that level again, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be really something. People are really passionate. And if, it's growing too. If pressed, do you think that uh, you'd be able to, or I should say, how many of these the starting nine, and, and any starting pitchers or other pitchers you can name of that 1985 Blue Jays team you could name? If you 19, were, 1985, the 1985 19, Blue Jays club. 1985. 1985. <clears throat> this could be like a like name that tune type of situation. Uh, All right. Well, I'll start at. Uh, well, what Sorry, number Gar- do you think you could get? That's what I'm saying. What number? Uh, out of out of the starting nine? Out of yeah, we'll say the starting nine. The the, the the ones who received the most plate appearances over the course of the season. I think I could probably get nine. Okay, all right. You want to go yeah. around the diamond or? Sure, we'll start uh, behind the plate. It was Ernie Witt and Buck Martinez? Um, we're kind of the. I mean, we've got the majority of the playing time. Right. You're uh, you're so you're even gonna you're prepared to to do some platoons here. To name they some did platoons. that. They well at third base they had a very um, well known platoon: Molinorge, uh, Rance, Molinix, and Garth Orge. Kind yeah. of Splitting time at third base: Tony Fernandez, uh, shortstop, and Salmaso Garcia at second base, and Willie Upshot first, and then um, uh, and then George Bell and, and Lloyd Mosby and. Jesse Barfield in right, and uh, I'm not sure about DH. I think Cliff Johnson spent some time as as a DH, and then uh, Doyle Alexander was the big. Uh, I remember he pitched that the kind of clinching game against the Yankees. Yeah. Jimmy Key, uh, who else? Henke. Tom Henke was in the bullpen, I guess. Yeah, you're doing. I mean, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. Uh, Jeff Burrows. They baseball reference lists, lists Jeff Burrows as the uh, the DH, although he only had a little over 200 plate appearances. Okay, uh, and also Al Oliver, um, yeah, was on that that's team. Right. I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I ha- I I had this one of those kind of like qu- quickie books that you know a newspaper or someone someone will uh, will produce 
on the heels of a kind of sporting triumph with that. And so the Toronto Star produced this book called The Drive of 85. And it was mostly photos and, you know, some writing. And I read that book, I swear, cover to cover a thousand times when I was, <laughs> when I was like, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. So. I mean, would you do, I mean, those names you just mentioned, do they, are there some guys um, uh, in that list that take up a disproportionate amount of your memory and sort of emotional emotional output? Jesse Barfield was my favorite player, absolutely. I love Jesse Barfield. He was, uh, I, and I think Jesse Barfield and, Bo- and Lloyd Mosby both were the kind of guys that, going back and looking at their numbers with more of the kind of advanced stats that are available now, you know, I just kind of knew Jesse Barfield hit a bunch of home runs and, and Lloyd Mosby was good, and then you go back, and I look at it with you know a bit more of a discerning eye now, and I realize that they, those were two like very very good players, Jesse Barfield in particular. Um, I mean, the, say what you want about the total zone numbers available in 1985, but uh, uh, his as far as wins above replacement goes, uh, Jesse Barfield was looked upon very fondly. Yeah, and um, especially uh, that I mean that 85 and that 80, I did not know this to be honest. 85, 86, he was worth almost 15 wins between the two. Yeah, and, and, and see, that's, Bell was the opposite, of course. Bell's 1987 Hall of Fame case is very, uh, celebrated for being a sham, um, because he had, what, like 145 RBIs or something and 47 home runs, but his numbers, uh, looking at them again with our modern, through the modern lens, uh, did not, did not look nearly as impressive as his, as his teammate who was, uh, maybe a little bit overlooked. Now, when uh, when did you obviously you're you're very comfortable with uh, advanced metrics? When did that? I mean, not necessarily wins above replacement, but when did that sort of urge, that interest, develop for you? Um, I would say probably around 2004 or five, to be honest. I was uh, kind of started working, and I had a not not a real desk job, but uh, I had found myself seeking content. On, online <laughs> to uh, to, uh, to distract you from your awful life. I mean, more or less. To, not to say that your life was particularly awful. I'm just saying life is awful. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I I just found myself really starting finding more and more things, and there were you know the various kind of uh, online portals that, that 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 sent me into you know deeper and deeper and deeper, and and, uh, and discovering uh, that was around the same time that a lot of the the earlier baseball blogs started to kind of um, blow up and then you start to read something and it just makes it makes way too much sense and then I read another thing and another thing and the next thing I know I'm I'm uh I'm right in there so I would say that's kind of where that sort of uh, started again uh, it just some you just read something and it just was like oh my goodness so well yeah yeah that makes even something as simple as OPS it's like yeah average doesn't account for you know total bases so a home run and a single count the same and I thought well, that's the dumbest thing in the world. I don't know why I never would have realized that before. No, I did, did it inform your? Because I know when when I f- uh, first became interested in um, advanced metrics, it was right about the same time you're mentioning, maybe oh three, oh four, um, and then and then it uh, crystallized a lot after the um, for me after the Red Sox World Series. I read the, the book Mind Game by the by Baseball Prospectus, that was essentially a treatment not only of why. The Red Sox were able to win that World Series and why they'd become good, but also why they'd been terrible, you know, since most of our grandparents were born. And I, I thought it was very dis, uh, disturbing for me that I dedicate so much time uh, to a club when really, you know, you're at some level you're at the mercy of the ownership, the intelligence of your uh, GM in front office. 
Um, and, you know, there's really, a, you know, a lot of the success can be attributed to, you know, once you get down to it, to, a, you know, a couple few people. I'm wondering if your interest in advanced metrics, how it colored your your fandom for the Blue Jays, because you, as you know, you're still a Blue Jays fan. You okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm okay. here. As you know, you're still a Blue Jays fan. Um, I'm curious as to as to you know how that your your knowledge of advanced metrics has maybe has influenced that. Well, it made me appreciate the 2006 and 2008 Blue Jays probably more than they deserved. I mean, they 2000 and 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 six. I think they won 87 games in 2008. I think they won 86, and they were they were both just like. Very good teams, but they just were at the wrong place at the wrong time. 2008, particularly, they won 86 games. They finished in uh, fourth place in the American League East. So um, it, I just was able to kind of maybe gain more of an appreciation just for that that the quality of that team, based on not not just based on where they finished in the division. And for someone to have criticized them and just saying, "Well, they're a fourth place team," he said, "Well, if I look I, by looking at it with a maybe more of a sabermetric or advanced." Stats. I. I was like, well, that is kind of doing them a disservice, even though at the end of the day they were a fourth place team, and there's no real way to get away from that. But it, it just kind of changed. It made me more optimistic, even though that never actually ever panned out, or they didn't develop into anything other than, well, the fourth place team, or maybe a fifth place team. Yeah, right. Now you uh, you remain a, a Buddhist fan. Do you? Uh, I assume that you check with some frequency the. The playoff odds. They're actual. They're actually. They have a chance of winning the division, and a slightly better chance than that of qualifying for the divisional series by any means. They do. Um, although I remain highly skeptical of their <laughs> team and their chances, just because of the kind of state of the team. Uh, it's nice to have a chance. So people are very excited around here about the fact that you know. Games matter, even though they walk in and it's fun because you see how long it's been since anyone experienced that. These sorts of feelings and emotions around here as, uh, losing three or four to the Astros in August was met with much derision. People were not happy about that at all. They were very disappointed, even though, well, yeah, end of the day, whatever. (laughs) Well, uh, listen, I know, I know that you have a, a child to bring to a place. Uh, I do. I have a soccer game to attend. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's important. Um, it's very might, important. Some might say the most important thing. Uh, and but uh, we will see you again. We will hear you again um, on Fangraphs Audio. But but for now, I want to thank you for making this appearance, and uh, it's been a pleasure getting to know you even better. Thanks, Carson. It's been a pleasure uh, for myself as well. Okay, we'll stick around for a moment. That has been Drew Ferris. Service currently of Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Testuli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.